Hello and welcome back to the Real Talk Podcast. With you as uh, always is your host, Matt Began with... Vicky Pierre. Joining us today is uh, our superintendent of schools, Dr. Nikolai Vidi. Dr. Vidi, how are you doing? Good. Hello to both of you. Well, Dr. Vidi, this has really been a long process with these boundary and program proposals. Can you explain when the process started for the boundary changes and what that process entailed before arriving to your final recommendations? Sure. So the process actually occurred around this time last year, um, more internally with reviewing uh, enrollment trends, residential rates in certain neighborhoods, academic performance now and long term, um, reviewing schools that were facing state sanction or could face state sanction, um, and just um, what programs would be more attractive to parents and students. All of that um, started, again, about this time last year, moved into um, one-on-one meetings with board board members and then into a workshop-type setting where all the board was there into June and July um, of um, the summer before the beginning of this past school year. Um, It's been a long process, and it's been a long process, um, deliberately so, to make sure that um, stakeholders are engaged, the community is engaged, that their voice is heard, uh, that their proposals are understood, and then finally um, voted on by the school board. So what factors did you consider when you made your initial and then also the final recommendations? And and judging by some of the feedback we're getting, a lot of people feel that these were centered or uh, geared directly towards the urban core of our community. Sure. Uh, Many of the proposals were focused on the urban core um, because that's where many of the factors or challenges that we're trying to overcome surfaced. Um, In particular, uh, all of the boundary changes, for the most part, um, try to address low enrollment at schools, which is coupled with low utilization, meaning that the Um, number of seats are not used to educate children based on the original design or construction of the building. Uh, We're also looking at um, school performance, mainly linked to school grades, short-term and long-term. And then linked to that are state sanctions. When schools continue to be DNF schools over time, then the state requires us to uh, close those schools, convert the schools to charter schools, um, or change the program, the boundary of those schools to do something differently for students that are in schools that are low, uh, lower performing. Um, we're also looking at um, trends of students leaving schools, uh, leaving certain schools for other schools for programmatic reasons, and then trying to think differently about what programs would bring neighborhood students back to those schools or students outside of that neighborhood to that school as well. So all of those factors were considered um, in order to come up with um, boundary proposals or programmatic proposals that would bring neighborhood students and non-neighborhood students back to schools that were low enrolled, low utilized, and often low performing. When we look at all of the boundary changes, um, although many were concentrated in the urban core, several were not. Um, the board um, approved changes to Wolfson High School, um, Ed White High School, Um, Hyde Grove, um, Hyde Park, um, Oak Hill, uh, those are not in the traditional urban core. Um, So there were schools that were facing challenges linked to enrollment, utilization, um, um, residential trends, 
uh, as far as school-age children are concerned. So it, it was not just a process that focused on urban core schools, but a series of factors that were applied to all schools, um, out, even outside of the urban core. But the reality is those factors that were analyzed often were most relevant uh, and consistent within the urban core. And so how have stakeholders been involved in this process? Well, board policy requires stakeholders to be involved in the process, uh, namely through the working groups. So um, board policy stated that the school district uh, had to work with the school-level principals to identify stakeholders that represent the school. Um, those Those stakeholders could be teachers, Um, parents, community members, um, faith-based individuals linked to schools, nonprofits, um, uh, the business community or business partners, uh, students, uh, all those individuals on some level were requested to participate on the various working groups. Some took on that responsibility and had opportunities, others did not, but we did stay true to board policy to ensure stakeholders were involved in considering the initial proposals and they had the opportunity to reject, approve, or modify the recommendations uh, that were originally offered to uh, the schools that were targeted for changes. Um, And then in addition to that, uh, we've engaged stakeholders through community meetings, public hearings um, before votes uh, were taken by the school board to continually hear from stakeholders as far as what they liked about the proposal, what they didn't, and what do they want to see done differently regarding the proposals. Um, but I do feel that we have been consistently transparent, but also uh, consistently responsive to questions and issues. Now, that doesn't mean that engaging the community and stakeholders means doing what they want you to do. Um, I think that there's a difference between actively listening, authentically listening, and then doing what people want you to do. I think that we have listened. We've been responsive. We've even made tweaks and modifications. I know I have to my original recommendations. Um, But there is a difference between actively and authentically listening and doing what people tell you they want you to do. Okay, so this is a portion of the podcast where now we're going to break out each of the boundaries um, and the the proposed changes. Uh, So we'll start off with the RV Daniels and Susie Tolbert uh, boundary change. Um, Why are they part of this process? So these two schools were not a part of the original set of schools that were identified for changes. Stakeholders linked to RV Daniels and Susie Tolbert attended the working group process for the R. uh, Brown change. And their concern was that if R.L. Brown was converted into a gifted, um, dedicated magnet, uh, then students that currently attend and parents that send their children to R.V. Daniels and Susie Tolbert will leave the two schools and instead attend um, the gifted program at R.L. Brown, the, the new one that was recently approved by the board. So um, with their concerns addressed, when the R.L. Brown Working Group made their recommendation to approve the recommendation to convert R.L. Brown, they also attached um, a recommendation to consider converting um, Susie Talbert to a dedicated magnet. And then ultimately, my recommendation was to convert R.V. Daniels, which is a sister school, 
to Susie Talbert. Um, the reason why RV Daniels was selected instead of Susie Talbert, again, their sister schools, um, students are served at the K-2 level at RV Daniels and then the 3-5 level, the K-2 students or the, the second grade students go to Susie Talbert, um, and both are considered non-dedicated, gifted, and talented magnets. Um, so we chose RV Daniels for the dedicated magnet as far as the proposal is concerned because you already have young children at RV Daniels, um, so they just continue to stay there. It's also what we consider um, an inside school, so the classrooms are not outside, which is more... Um, uh, conducive to educating smaller children, so kindergarten children instead of an outside school like Susie Talbert. And um, um, that was the rationale why we picked R.V. Daniels instead of Susie Talbert as far as the dedicated, um, gifted, and talented school is concerned. And so why make changes to these schools if they are doing well academically? And it's a legitimate question uh, and one that has been asked. Uh, one, uh, we are listening and considering the recommendation made by the RLBAR Working Group, um, influenced by many of the gifted and talented parents that are associated with RV Daniels and Susie Talbert. They have been requesting for quite some time to have a dedicated um, gifted and talented program at RV Daniels and Susie Talbert. So this isn't um, anything new. Um, uh, so we are following up. Um, as far as a proposal on what was historically recommended. Um, in addition to that, we know that uh, the demand for gifted and talented programming is not being met um, by the supply uh, as far as Duval County Public Schools is concerned. Um, it's been mentioned many times that there's a 400-student waiting list at Jack's Beach. Um, many of those students do not return to our school system. Uh, they go to charter schools, private schools, so there's an opportunity to capture those 400 students and many more that don't even apply um, to Jack's Beach because they live on the other side of town. So one another reason for the proposal is to expand gifted and talented um, magnet programming, which is in high demand by parents, uh, low supply as far as what we're offering as a school district. We also believe that the change would lead to long-term sustainability for both schools. RV Daniels right now is at about 65% utilized. Um, this change would bring RV Daniels to 100% utilized. Um, in addition, uh, Susie Talbert is at about 60% utilized right now, and it would bring uh, Susie Talbert to about 80%, if not higher, with the other boundary changes that I know we'll talk about later. So in other words, it allows both schools to be more at use at capacity, uh, which is also obviously a factor, as we talked about earlier, that's considered when you're thinking about um, programmatic or boundary changes in order to better utilize schools. Um, also, RV Daniels and Susie Talbert are in residential areas that are not seeing much growth. So um, residents are not moving into the area, and they're not necessarily having large numbers of school-aged children. So if you look at the surrounding area um, where there are other elementary schools positioned, um, which are lower performing than RV Daniels and Susie Talbert, but going through series of boundary changes and programmatic changes, it's only um, realistic to think that that challenge could eventually spread or touch RV Daniels and Susie Talbert um, as far as low utilization, um, low enrollment. Um, there's also a reality that um, the gifted and talented teachers 
um, parents and students will leave both schools for R.L. Brown. So we're also trying to be pragmatic and keep parents involved at R.V. Daniels and not go to R.L. Brown and keep teachers that are gifted, endorsed uh, to stay at R.V. Daniels, Susie Tolbert, and in this case R.V. Daniels, to lead to a long-term sustainable plan from an enrollment point of view, um, from a utilization point of view, and also from an academic performance point of view, considering the performance of Susie Tolbert over the years. Was there a working group for R.V. Daniels and Susie Tolbert? And if there was, what kind of stuff did you learn from them with their feedback? Yes, there was a working group for R.V. Daniels and Susie Talbert. Um, it was created after uh, the recommendation was um, submitted by R. L. Brown um, to consider the dedication of the R.V. Daniels Susie Talbert uh, gifted program. Um, so that working group um, approved the recommendation to convert R.V. Daniels to a dedicated magnet on an 11-2 vote. Okay, so let's get into it a little bit more detailed. What is your final recommendation uh, regarding R.V. Daniels and Susie Tolbert? So the final recommendation is that R.V. Daniels be a K-5 dedicated, gifted, and talented school, and Susie Tolbert remains a 3-5 school, eventually adding a 6th grade, not this upcoming year, but the following year, uh, which would be the 17-18 school year, um, and that the boundary of Susie Talbert uh, include um, the grades 3, 4, and 5 from West Jacks and grades 3, 4, and 5 from SP Livingston, um, and that eventually the boundary for RV Daniels, which is currently the K-2, moved to SP Livingston, which F- SP Livingston would become an early learning center. Um, I think it's important to note that under the current proposal, any student currently at RV Daniels or Susie Tolbert, whether they're gifted and talented or, or a neighborhood student or um, accessing the magnet, even if they're not from the neighborhood or gifted and talented, can automatically enroll at RV Daniels as a K-5 dedicated magnet. Um, um, so that has been an ongoing question. There is no criteria to enter RV Daniels, um, neither now or into the future. And we are, and every student at RV Daniels is, in other words, grandfathered in. And so are the students at Susie Talbert if they'd rather go to RV Daniels than Susan Talbert based on, um, on the change. In addition, students that are in the pre-K program at RV Daniels automatically have access to RV Daniels um, this upcoming year as rising kindergartners. So what happens to students currently attending both of these schools? So the both students, uh, the students at both schools have the opportunity to go to either school. So the, the students currently at RV Daniels um, can stay at RV Daniels. Um, the students at Susie Talbert can stay at Susie Talbert or um, uh, transition or transfer to RV Daniels. So we heard this during the last board meeting um, when, when dealing with magnetizing schools. Um, why create another dedicated magnet for gifted and talented students when we already have R.L. Brown? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, especially considering the proximity between R.V. Daniels and R.L. Brown. Um, one reason for the creation of two dedicated elementary schools um, that focus on gifted and talented is we have a shortage um, of gifted and talented elementary schools that are dedicated. We only have one right now, Jack's Beach, um, and certainly the demand um, is our supply is not keeping up with demand. So there are quite a few number of students. 
um, um, and parents that apply to Jack's Beach that don't enter Jack's Beach because there are not enough seats. And there are plenty that would still like even more options outside of Jack's Beach and don't even apply to Jack's Beach because they live so far away from Jack's Beach. So we're creating two because we know that the demand is high at the elementary level, but the supply is low. Um, so that's one reason. The other reason is that um, we do not want to see R.V. Daniels or Susie Talbert um, not receive what they were committed to receive years ago, which is a dedicated program. Uh, we don't want to see the gifted program as a non-dedicated magnet program uh, dismantled um, because the teachers there and parents that are currently there leave for R.L. Brown, and that is what would likely to happen. Um, we do not want to, in other words, to say it directly, kill the gifted program um, at R.V. Daniels or Susie Talbert, but not converting it to a dedicated magnet. And the reality is, is that many of the gifted and talented um, students um, their parents will leave for our Brown if the school, one of the two schools, is not dedicated. Uh, again, one, this was previously discussed uh, and committed to. Um, secondly, I do think it's important to meet the demand of our parents. And thirdly, um, we need more gifted and talented programming um, to stay competitive with charter schools and private schools. Um, all parents have options. Uh, gifted and talented parents have options, and unfortunately, they have used um, charter schools and private schools to receive what they would like their children to receive from a programmatic point of view. Um, and so we think we can address multiple problems and challenges with, um, with this proposal. Maintain uh, the positive culture support and reputation of R.V. Daniels uh, while building a new gifted and talented program at R.L. Brown, where, again, we're just continuing to supply uh, the demand for more gifted and talented programming at the elementary level. So I know a lot of parents want to know, what will the entry requirements be for R.V. Daniels? So there will be no entry requirements. Um, they will, um, parents will be required to submit an application um, whether they are, uh, their child is gifted and talented uh, or um, from the neighborhood. RV Daniels would um, continue its priority status, um, and so those parents uh, whose children are in the neighborhood, the original boundary neighborhood of RV Daniels, would have priority, um, and um, we would continue with that process, and then um, gifted or non-gifted students can access the program at RV Daniels. You mentioned that in uh, a few minutes ago about the 16-17 school year will not have the sixth grade yet. Um, so will students going into it when it starts in 17-18, will they be required, if they're fifth graders, will they be required to stay there to continue on to the sixth grade? No. Um, it's just it'll be an option that will be provided to the current fifth graders um, that are at Susie Talbert next year. Um, as far as their proposal. So just to be clear, next year's fifth graders in the 16-17 um, school year will be offered the opportunity to remain at the school as sixth graders. And then, they, and then when they uh, are finished as sixth graders, they can go to uh, their neighborhood middle school um, or they can um, access a magnet program 
Um, but that is the, the vision to create that continuity with sixth graders. And the, the reason for that is we've seen quite a bit of success at the reading and math level with um, uh, increasing the K-5 model and including sixth grade. Sixth graders are doing better in the elementary setting as sixth graders than they are as sixth graders at the um, middle school building. And what will be done to support Susie Tolbert if gifted students no longer attend the school? Yeah, and this is a, a firm um, commitment um, of the administration to make sure that Susie Tolbert continues to see the academic um, improvement that it has shown. Um, uh, a couple things will be done. We will be sustaining our instructional coaches at Susie Tolbert uh, to support teachers. Uh, we will be um, building a PITSCO uh, STEM lab at Susie Tolbert for all the students to access. Uh, we will be funding a full-time nurse at the school um, to create continuity with the Newtown Success Zone uh, work that happens at SP Livingston. Um, we will be offer all, all, we will also negotiate with a, a, a memo of understanding with the teachers union in order to have all the teachers at Susie Talbert trained as gifted and talented teachers. So in other words, they'll be gifted endorsed. Uh, we're not trying to build a gifted program at Susie Talbert, but this ensures that students that are not quote gifted uh, will be exposed to the same kind of strategies, um, uh, rationale, thought process when creating lesson plans through their regular instruction um, in the core areas. Um, we also will be um, providing Susie Talbert with a behavior interventionist to work with at-risk students or those students that are um, uh, misbehaving and, and continually in trouble for, from a behavioral point of view. Uh, we also will have a parent liaison at Susie Talbert to work with our parents, especially those that would be transitioning to the school. And then lastly, city year. Um, will be moved from SP Livingston to Susie Talbert. Um, and as many of us know, uh, City Year offers young, um, energetic, idealistic um, individuals that work with students on a day-to-day -day basis as mentors. Um, and they support the students in reading and math interventions, uh, but also in behavioral issues as well. You mentioned SP Livingston, so let's go ahead and move on to the next group of schools, which is going to be West Jacksonville and SP Livingston. Um, why were these schools identified for the boundary change? Um, so F SP, we'll start with SP Livingston. SP Livingston was um, identified um, for a number of different reasons. Uh, one, the long-term low performance of the school. Uh, SP Livingston has been a D or an F or would have been D and F if not for Hold Harmless 13 out of 16 years since school grades were provided. Um, in addition to that, um, it right now is functioning at a very low utilization of about 52% right now. Um, you also have 44% of parents that should be going to SP Livingston opting out. Um, so in other words, neighborhood parents are not seeing the school at scale as a viable option for their children. And um, we're continuing to see low performance, which is a problem for individual children, but also a problem for the state as far as state sanctions are concerned for the school 
school, um, and uh, we're not necessarily able to recruit students from the outside to go to SB Livingston under the the current configuration. Um, so those were the factors that were considered for SB Livingston. Um, for West Jacks, uh, very similar. Uh, history of low performance, uh, specifically of the last 16 years of school grades, um, West Jacks has been a DRF or would have been a DRF 10 out of 16 years. Um, it has been an F school um, now for um, uh, three years straight. Um, it is also facing state sanctions. Um, right now, uh, West Jacks is functioning at 42% utilized, and 40% of the parents that should be attending West Jacks are opting out of the school. So very similar to SP Livingston, hard to uh, rebuild the school uh, or to build up a school where the residents that should be going to West Jacks are opting out and not necessarily well positioned to recruit students from the outside considering the reputation of the school. And then in addition, the state um, is expecting us to do things differently from a um, from a design point of view um, because of its low performance over the years. So explain to us the difference between your original recommendation the working group's recommendations and your final recommendations for both of these schools. So this is an example of of, of true evolution um, from the initial um, recommendation to where we are right now. Um, uh, for all the reasons that I just spoke to as far as the factors that were considered were applied to West Jacks and SP Livingston, the original recommendation was that uh, West Jacks would be an early learning center and SP Livingston would be a 3-5. Uh, so they would be sister schools. Um, the working group rejected that recommendation and instead recommended that West Jacks be a dedicated um, elementary school focused on STEM um, and that SP Livingston um, be a, uh, be converted to a non-dedicated magnet focused on leadership. Um, uh, part of that vote included a minority vote um, to convert West Jacksonville to a uh, overage um, school um, for overage students. So just to be clear, those are students that are two or year, two years or more outside of their age cohort. And those students typically struggle academically, but especially behaviorally. Um, and there's a concentration of those students in the urban core. So in considering that um, the the recommendation of the working group, um, it just was not clear um, that a dedicated magnet STEM program would um, recruit students from the neighborhood and outside. The, the reality is there's just not enough neighborhood students to recruit to West Jacks, um, even as a dedicated magnet. And STEM, as a focus at the elementary level, has not necessarily recruited students from outside the boundary. Um, in addition, we're also making other changes to schools like R.L. Brown or even R.V. Daniels with the dedication of elementary schools as dedicated magnets, that it'll be hard for West Jacks to compete with those schools because of the historical um, low performance of West Jacks. Um, but at the same time, I think the working group, or at least a member of the working group, highlighted a gap and a need, which is more overage support um, for overage students. Um, so um, and looking at that and also considering the cost of converting um, West Jacks to the Early Learning Center, 
um, with it being a two-story school. And it, when you're tr- when you're working with children that are of young age, they need to be on the first floor um, and have uh, ready access to a bathroom and a playground. Um, it made sense for SP Livingston to be the early learning center because it is just a one-floor school, um, and they have plenty of space as far as classrooms that can be used uh, that with bathrooms that can be used for the primary. Um, so think oh, with all that considered, uh, the final recommendation uh, was to convert SB Livingston to an early learning center. Uh, that means adding the Head Start programming to SB Livingston with starting with three-year-olds. Um, and we will be able to hand select uh, the teachers for that program. So we are looking for fully certified uh, teachers that have uh, an elementary certification along with paras um, all the way up to second grade. Um, and then West Jacks would be used as an overage um, school for not only middle school students that would be coming from the now JWJ Axe uh, Center, um, but also fourth and fifth graders uh, that are overage at the elementary level. Um, there would also be a boundary change so that the students currently at West Jacks at the K-2 level would go to SP Livingston, and those students that are in grades 3, 4, and 5 at West Jacks would go to SP Living. I'm sorry, to Susie Talbert. And then those students from th- grades 3, 4, and 5 at SP Livingston would go to Susie Talbert. So what is the benefit of moving the middle school overage center to West Jacksonville? Well, West Jacksonville, um, as the home of the overage center, um, ensures its long-term placement within the Duval County public school system. Um, Because of low residential rates, um, uh, not an increase in school-age children in the area, a history of low performance, by converting West Jacks to the overage center uh, for middle school students, it ensures that that building um, is kept um, for educational purposes and tied to Duval County Public Schools. The school will also function as a outreach center for the parents and the community. Um, we will be moving the JWJ Act full service school from um, that building to West Jacks. We will also be housing more uh, parent academy sessions at West Jacks uh, to reach out to parents in the community. Um, And so the school becomes um, viable long term, even though you have lower number of residents, lower number of children that are school age that would attend school, it it positions the school to be sustainable um, as far as uh, educational purposes are concerned. And would the services that are provided by the Newtown Initiative be disrupted due to these changes? No. So the the, the Newtown Initiatives um, would continue at SB Livingston, um, and and we can argue extended um, to lower to, to younger children because of the early learning initiative. And then um, the nurse that currently works with students at SB Livingston and at Butler Middle. Um, would stay there, and we would fund another full-time nurse at Susie Talbert to work with students that originally would have been at SB Livingston in grades 3, 4, and 5. So they would be um, serviced and supported um, at Susie Talbert instead of being supported at SP Livingston. I think the um, one of the focuses of the Newtown initiative is narrowing the achievement gap. Um, And I think when you look at the purpose of the Early Learning Center, it's exactly to do that, to narrow the achievement gap. 
um, by working with children starting at three years old with fully certified teachers and offering a continuation and a continuity of academic and behavioral support starting at the three-year-old level, I think we can overcome a lot of the challenges that we see in the Newtown area um, linked to poverty, um, low educational uh, background and, and exposure of our parents. Um, limited parent in, involvement and engagement academically. I think we can overcome all of that by working with children at a younger age, and then they will be more ready by the time they go into third grade, which they'll be passed on to Susie Talbert, hopefully, um, and I believe, uh, more ready for learning in reading and math because of the deep work that will happen at SP Livingston instead of trying to do both, which we often do in Title I elementary schools, which is try to focus on the primary and the intermediary at the same time. Very hard to do both when students are so far behind. What happens to the EBD students that are already at SP Livingston? So they'll remain at SP Livingston. Um, they have already a, a separate part of the building uh, that's specifically um, uh, constructed for those students that would remain at SP Livingston. Uh, we will obviously have inclusion um, opportunities for those students based on their IEP at the kindergarten through second grade level. And those students at the third, fourth, and fifth grade level, um, if they are um, in an inclusion model um, based on their IEP, then they would um, uh, do that in the surrounding schools in the area. What is the rationale behind an early learning center at SP Livingston, and what does that look like? So we talked earlier about narrowing the achievement gap, um, but when we, the intent is to do quite a few things um, dynamically different than how we have traditionally been working with students that are growing up in poverty at the primary level. So by creating an early learning center, we can create complete intentionality and purpose and focus on early learning um, because those teachers will not be burdened by the state standardized test. Um, they can go deep with interventions behaviorally and academically. Um, the early learning center will start at the three-year-old level with Head Start um, and then move up to ultimately second grade. Um, we will um, work with our teachers union on a memo of understanding to hand select teachers so that they want to be a part of it. They're passionate about that work. Um, we are going to provide every grade level from kindergarten, first and second grade with a reading interventionist that's a fully certified teacher to work with students in smaller groups. Um, we will have a partnership with any given child uh, to train all of our um, music art teachers and the core teachers in arts integration. Uh, we have a exciting rainforest um, curriculum where students will go outside um, to learn about uh, the curriculum, but by being outside and, and being a part of nature, um, there is a woods area right by SP Livingston that's ideal for that work. Um, in addition, we are likely to have all of our teachers from three-year-old level to the second grade trained in Orton-Gillingham. Uh, that's a multi-sensory approach to mainly teaching reading um, that we're using at GRASP. And that works for all students, not just dyslexic students. So that way, our, our teachers are well-trained. Um, to uh, think in a different way of, of engaging all students in, in reading and math. Um, 
Um, in addition to that, uh, we will be providing ongoing coaching with our teachers so that they are constantly supported and trained. Um, the school will have a, a parent liaison, a behavior interventionist to work with students that um, are not on the right track behaviorally, um, and an outreach to parents that are not engaged or participating enough in their child's education. So all of these things mean that we're doing things differently at the early learning level with more inten intentionality, more focus to make sure that these students in particular are ready by the time they go into third grade. And we have not been able to do that um, consistently, especially in our elementary Title I schools and these particular schools in particular considering their performance over the years. So with all these changes, one thing that comes to mind is going to be transportation, taking students from one school, then they got to get on another bus and go to another school. How is that going to look from a, maybe a cost standpoint or just a strategic standpoint? How does that happen? Well, the, the reality is, is that when you look at these four schools in particular, RV Daniel, Susie Tolbert, West Jacks, and SP Livingston, they're all within two miles radius of one another. Um, so specifically, Talbert to SP Livingston is about 1.2 miles. Um, uh, we know that Tolbert and RV Daniels are right across the street from one another. Tolbert to West Jacks is 1.8 miles apart. West Jacks to Livingston is about 0.7 miles. And then West Jacks to RV Daniels is about 1.9 or 2 miles away from one another. So these schools are relatively close to one another. Um, many of our larger elementary schools have boundaries that expand beyond two miles. Um, and so for these particular students, the, the bus pickup will be reduced from 1.5 to 1 miles. And if we have siblings that once were in the same school, the parent can elect to transfer their student through the special transfer process to another school so siblings can go to school to with one another. Um, but if they have one student, let's say, at SP Livingston and another student at Susie Talbert, the bus pickup will work that the younger child will be dropped off, for example, at SP Livingston, and the older sibling will be dropped off at Susie Talbert. Um, so um, this means closer pickup to the home. Um, now, there is reality that there are some parents that literally walked um, to school every day that were down the street from the school. I would like to maintain that, and there's certainly an inconvenience for that parent. But I do believe that there are larger issues that need to be tackled with these boundary changes that at the minimum ensure that that public school that is down the street from a parent who now walks to school um, with their child will remain a public school and within our school system for the long term. Um, and I do believe that at least for the younger sibling, the, the, the ability to walk the child to school remains. Uh, but for the older student, it may be uh, having to ride a bus. But that's no different than the majority of our elementary children today. And so now we're going to discuss our final uh, program boundary change for this podcast. That's the JWJACT Center or ACT. What factors were considered when you identified this school for changes? Well, the main challenge for us um, is that the currently JWJ Act only enables 200 students to participate in the program at the middle school level. Obviously, we have many more um, middle school students that can access the program, but based on the current um, agreement with EWC and Duval County Public Schools, we only have 200 seats. Um, and so by moving the program to West Jacks, we go from 200 seats to 500 seats. Um, and so we can have more students be involved in this program, which is obviously working uh, when it comes to catching children 
children up as far as credits are concerned so that they can return to the grade level um, or age cohort that they started um, elementary or middle school at. Um, we also know uh, that there's an opportunity for EWC to use the building. Um, I would not be in favor of this recommendation if EWC was not using the building for educational purposes. So the commitment to the community to sustain the use of the building for educational purposes allows for a long-term commitment that that building continue to be um, accessible to parents, um, to the greater community on an educational basis. And I think it also allows EWC to expand its enrollment because it's challenged right now as far as facilities are concerned. And I think anytime um, two institutions, especially two educational institutions, can work together, um, there are multiple wins that come out of that scenario. And I think that's certainly the case with this proposal. Now, is, and this is something, a buzz we've heard in the community is there anything in the lease that's going to stop uh, EWC from wanting to maybe possibly change that building into a charter school? So there will be language in the contract that um, does not allow EWC to use the building as a charter school. Um, we hope that we continue our partnership with EWC as far as teacher uh, future teacher development, so more teachers from EWC or more students at EWC uh, become teachers or want to become teachers, study to be a, become a teacher because we need teachers to employ. So that partnership could continue, um, but we are going to be very clear that the building cannot be used as a charter school. So where will the students who are currently at the JWJ Act Center go? So those students would go to West Jacks um, or they would go to a satellite site uh, that offers the overage middle school activities. So let's talk about the working group. Um, what kind of information and feedback were you getting from your original uh, proposal to what they came back with and now what's the, the final proposal? So after considering the West Jacks SP Livingston working group proposal, which um, rejected my original proposal on a 5-1 vote, but again, the minority vote um, did recommend that West Jacks be considered for the overage um, center. Um, after that component, we engaged stakeholders from JWJ as part of the board policy uh, working group process, and they voted on a 5-0 vote to support the recommendation to move the JWJ Act program from that building to West Jacks. And what would be the ages of the students going from JWJ Act Center to West Jacksonville? So right now, the majority of students at the JWJ Act Center are middle school students. Um, there, however, over the last two years, when we discontinued the STAR program, we had more um, fourth and fifth grade students enter the program. Because um, remember, those fourth and fifth graders aren't really the age of a fourth and a fifth grader. They're really the age of a middle school student. So that's a misunderstanding sometimes when people hear fourth and fifth graders, they think of a traditional um, fourth or fifth grade age child. These are really middle school students that are still in fourth and fifth grade. Um, so JWJ Act, the program in moving to West Jacks, will continue to serve sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, um, but also fourth and fifth graders that uh, really should be in seventh or eighth grade. 
So the last two proposals, which would be the West Jacks and SP Livingston and now the JWJ Axe Center, those have not been voted on. When do they get voted on? Um, so they will be considered by the board uh, for an official vote on May 3rd. And what steps uh, do you and your administration do between now and then to assure that your proposal uh, is voted in favor of these changes? So we continue to respond to any emails that come in to myself or that go to board members and are routed to me uh, for additional information. Um, obviously, email is probably the most efficient way to ask your questions or make your recommendations. Um, but you can also um, call the, the school district building um, and talk to Pearl Rogiers, who's the assistant superintendent of school choice. Or you can even call my office um, and ask to speak to me. But again, the most efficient way to engage me at this point would be via email. And you can get all of the information, the email addresses, the phone numbers. You can always get that at uh, duvalschools.org. Uh, this has been another really informative episode of Real Talk. So for Vicki Pierre, I'm Matt Began, and thanks for listening.